Hey guys, welcome back to the final third. We have a great show for you guys today. We have us talking about the potential MLS work stoppage. Barcelona in complete tatters with their debt going up to 1 billion euros. We also talk about Manchester United falling to Sheffield United, failing to score against Arsenal, and the fact that they probably aren't going to be title contenders. And as always, you know, give us a follow at Twitter at Final Third Show. Again, that's at Final Third Show. Leave a rating, tell a friend, give us a follow on Spotify or wherever you listen. And yeah, enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of The Final Third. My name is Jack Seeprasad, I'm your resident Chelsea, Atalanta, and French national team fan. Jack is joined by me, AJ Tibura, everyone's resident, everyone's favorite, West Ham, Minnesota United, U.S. Men's National Team fan, and Aston Villa hater. That's right, I hate Aston Villa, we all do. I could jump on that train as well, just for Jack, Jack Grealish. But getting on from that, I, I just want to <laughs> quick talk about the fact that we're starting a new episode format this week. We're actually going to be splitting our content into two episodes throughout the week so we can go more in-depth and deliver more content to everyone. So episode one, released earlier in the week, is going to be focused on news and uh, you know our predictions for upcoming games, just to give you, if you want more of a look at just a general understanding of what's going on in the soccer world. And our second episode coming out later in the week is going to be our in-depth discussions and debates, just so we can give you a little bit more content throughout the week. And uh, we'll see how it goes. If it ends up being a disaster, we can revert back. But yep. we're hoping that this will be great. Yeah, so we, we want to do it because we want to spend more time talking in depth about the things that we're going to talk about in Thursday's episode or whenever it releases later in the week. And for this week, we're talking about uh, the World Cup cities in the 2026 World Cup and video assistant referee. So we want to spend more time talking in depth into those topics, which we didn't really get the chance to in the past formats. So, you know, we're really looking forward to that. Uh, as always, you know, follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel. They're down in the show notes down below. But, you know, we just want to do this so we can spend more time talking about what matters. And for yeah. this first episode uh, the, in the earlier parts of the week, it's going to follow pretty much the same format as before, minus the the... The discussion. So we're going to talk our, our our five big news stories of the week, followed by a, our US MNT corner where we talk about all the news around the US men's national team, as well as our predictions from last week and our predictions for this week. Yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, AJ, why don't you kick us off with our first big story of the week? Yeah. So the first of five this week, we start off in the USA. So we have a potential MLS work stoppage. If you guys have been following along either on Twitter or throughout our past episodes, we've been talking about the MLS collective bargaining agreement debacle for the past month since the very beginning. And this has kind of been uh, an uphill battle for fans and for the Players Association. Uh, the MLS Players Association recently submitted a counterproposal to MLS's initial proposal after not responding for a little bit. And for those of you who aren't caught up, basically MLS submitted a proposal for a new collective bargaining agreement after putting in force majeure, which basically means that you know we have COVID-19 going on. We have to restructure our labor agreement in order to save some money because we're losing so much money. The MLS Players Association uh, retaliated by coming up with a little bit of a little bit of a compromise. MLS wanted to extend the current CBA uh, until I believe 2027. Uh, the Players Association basically said let's turn that into one year less 2026 which is what I believe they did. Uh, MLS didn't actually respond until after their set deadline. They set a deadline for January 28th, blew right past that, and what they have said is that they want to extend the deadline one more week in order to debate further 
And if they can't come up to an agreement, a lockout occurs, meaning that the players are completely locked out. They won't be able to uh, play any games, anything like that. And this has raised up a lot of concern uh, because most owners actually increased their net worth during the pandemic. Yes, the clubs themselves have lost money, but that's nothing that the billionaire owners can't cover. It's bad for the players because they can't join any clubs if the league is out of the window. So if they did want to leave MLS for however long the lockout is occurring, they can't go to any league where the transfer window has closed by uh, when their set deadline is. So that's a week from a week from uh, last Wednesday, I believe. So most of the leagues that are have transfer windows right now, they're going to be closed. England's going to be closed. Most of the big five leagues in Europe are going to be closed. So it's terrible for players. It's terrible they won't be able to play. And honestly, this just seems like a cash grab by owners in order to use COVID-19 as an excuse to to nickel and dime the players who already don't make a lot. Jack, what do you think about this? Yeah, well, obviously, I think that it's a terrible move by the owners. You know, if they if they really wanted to, they could pay any out any of the financial difficulties of these clubs. And I think that, you know, it I if if it takes a while for the season to get started because, you know, the players association wants a fair deal, I'm willing to wait for that and I know countless other fans would be willing to as yeah, well sure. because it it they deserve to be treated as people because they are. They're they may be players that do amazing things throughout the course of the season, but they're people and they deserve to have the best working conditions possible. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to wait for, uh, for a start yeah. to MLS if it means they get just that. Yeah. And cause some of these players, you know, we think about these players as making a lot of money. A lot of them are making sub $100,000, which isn't a lot. If you're going to put your body out in the line and your career is only going to last 10 years. So of course they're going to want a fair labor, fair labor deal. Like, I wouldn't be mad if they went completely on strike instead of giving in to the league. And I'm pretty sure you wouldn't either. Right. I, I would not be mad. They they deserve that. It's a trying job. It's a trying career. It's it's something that is doesn't have longevity. They deserve the best conditions possible. Yes. And you know who isn't in good conditions right now? Manchester United. Jack, walk us through Manchester United, maybe faltering a little bit recently. Yeah, so uh, a few days ago, Manchester United hosted bottom of the league Sheffield United. And, uh, you know, Manchester United had every right to feel confident about this. They, in fact, uh, Sheffield United had never won at Old Trafford since 1973, before the Premier League was even started. So uh, they went into this thinking everything would be okay, but in 23 minutes... Kean Bryan, who was born in Manchester, scored the opening goal for Sheffield United. And Manchester United floundered for the rest of that first half and, until eventually, 64 minutes in, Harry Maguire directs a header in, you know, uh, a standard one of his goals. He, he right. ghosted in at the near post and converted the header from across. And then uh, Oliver Burke stepped up for Sheffield United after being subbed on. And it, it was actually hilarious to watch because it was some of the most calamitous defending I've seen. Uh, he, he basically walks into the box completely unmarked and shoots a, shoots a, a speculative effort in. Uh, Axel Twanzebe bounces off his leg and it goes right past De Gea and Sheffield United held on to claim a win at Old Trafford, 2-1, mm-hmm. which was huge for them in their fight to try and escape relegation. And... Uh, you know, I I think that this is a really awesome result for Sheffield United, but for Manchester United, they have to be looking at their, themselves and being like, we need to we need to do better with some defending. But yeah. I also do want to mention one other aspect of this, uh, and it's something that the Premier League has responded to pretty well, because right after this match, uh, there was a ton of racial abuse directed towards Manchester United's players, mm-hmm. which is never okay, and they it. it I'm glad that the Premier League has come out to support the players uh, who were victims of racial abuse, but it 
it really shouldn't be happening in this day and age, and it's unfortunate that it still does. Uh, but you know, it it's it was a good point for Sheffield United, but there were also some really low points in it as well. Just both for Manchester United and for the sport as a whole. AJ, what do you think about this game? Well, first of all, I'd like to say, of course, racial injustice, racial abuse is never ever okay. And I saw the news. I saw some of the abuse that they were going through, and obviously, that's not okay. I'm glad that we have stepped up against it, but obviously there needs to be more things that we're doing that I hope we get to talk about in a future deep dive uh, because this is an issue that goes beyond what I can say in the next couple of couple of minutes. But beyond that, I think Manchester United are doing pretty badly. Uh, even after this game, they had a 0-0 draw against Arsenal. A lot of Manchester United's games against Big Six end up being 0-0 draws or they're dropping points left and right regardless of what the result is and so the question is for me you know Manchester United are dropping crucial points they're not looking good Jack do you think they're contenders still I don't think they're contenders I haven't really thought of them as title contenders right they, exactly. they're they're kind of like they they rely too much on Bruno Fernandez in my opinion and if anything happens to him uh they're they're pretty much done and right. even he can't even create all the time. Like he can do great things, but he can only do so much. And I honestly don't think this is the year that Manchester United are going to win the title. I mean, it could be that they do because they are in second right now, but I really don't think this is their year. All right. Well, with that, we go to another club who 2021, 2020 might not be their year. And that's Barcelona. Barcelona's debt reportedly has ballooned to 1 billion euros. And, you know, that's obviously huge. They also reportedly owe 126 million of that to other clubs for transfers, including a staggering 29 million for Coutinho. And they need to pay that towards Liverpool. Obviously not great. This COVID-19 pandemic has hit them really, really hard. They're one of those teams that rely a lot on gate receipts and they're losing out on that. But even if it wasn't for the gate receipts, this is still very poor management for Barcelona. Even pre-pandemic, they were known for having one of the biggest debt bills in the entirety of the footballing world. This is poor management from their presidency, from their front office, to even their scouting teams. They have a huge wage bill for players that might not be the best for the club. And something that we also have to keep in mind is this leak that came out earlier today. Jack, did you see this? Uh, El Mundo reported that Messi is being paid 555 million euros over four years. This is his contract. So when we talk about like a large wage bill, we also have, obviously have to talk about Lionel Messi, who is their top uh, top earner. 555 million euros over four years with a 115 million euro renewal fee and a 77 million euro loyalty bonus. He is their top earner, obviously. He's their best player, obviously. But it does bring into questions, should he be being paid this much? All clubs are currently in debt, obviously. If you want to run a good club, you kind of have to go into debt. But this is way too much to be sustainable in the long run. Jack, what does Barcelona need to do in order to not be the tire far that they are right now? Well, they've got to completely rework their transfer strategy for one because, you know, they've, they've been focused all this time about buying up the very best in Europe for whenever they have a good tournament. You know, Antoine Griezmann it, uh -huh. after the World, the World Cup, Cup. Uh, you know, and you have Phil Coutinho again, also, also I believe, uh, following a, a good World Cup and also performances for Liverpool. Uh, you know, he, I mean, Barcelona have been doing this for so long, and it's really catching up to them. I think that they have a really promising, like a ton of really promising young prospects that could be playing, that could be doing really good things for the club, and they should really start using them instead of always searching for, you know, the the next uh, wonder kid or like, uh, you know, the next absolute brilliant uh, masterclass that they see after one tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, they They need to fix this because 
it's clear that the money is burning a hole in their po- their pockets, and uh, it's it's going to hurt their club in the long run, especially if this goes on for much longer and they're not able to get those sales. So they've yeah. got to rethink how they pre- uh, how they approach transfers. Follow up question: Speaking of transfers, do you think they should let go of Messi? I I brought up the the contract. We talk about the transfers. Should Messi go? Well, that that's a really interesting thing because he hasn't played as much as usual this season. You know, he's he's been out of the team for a few games, and I, I'm starting to think that maybe it might be time for him to move on. You know, he and Barcelona are a legendary combination in the world of soccer, and, you know, you can't really overstate how much he's meant to the club. But at the same time, I think it's time for him to move on and find another challenge. He's won everything possible with Barcelona. And I think that it would be best for both of them. One, it would be great for Barcelona because they they could really save their finances by just transferring Messi. Like, truly save their finances. And Messi could approach a new challenge and truly establish himself as the best uh, soccer player of all time. He's He's getting up there, but, you know, if he goes to the Premier League and absolutely tears it up, at like 34, nobody is going to be able to ever dispute that. Or he can come to Inner Miami and get coached by the legendary Phil Neville. Oh no. yes, of course. Of, of course not, of course not. We, have, we, we are chock full of stories today. But this fifth one is just going over some of the, the transfers that have happened or uh, going to be rumored to happen either uh, today, tomorrow, or have happened in the past couple days. So first we have uh, Odegaard. I don't even know how to pronounce that. It's He's from Norway. They pronounce things weirdly there. But he's going from Real Madrid to Arsenal Football Club. It's a six-month loan to Arsenal. And he adds a lot to the attack that is already pretty interesting. You have Saka, Smith-Rowe, uh, Aubameyang, Lacazette. And now you have Odegaard adding into that. I think Arsenal can make a pretty big run into the top half coming into uh, the second half of the season. Next, we have key Atalanta attacking midfielder Papu Gomez going to Sevilla for only 5.5 million plus add-ons. Uh, Jack will probably talk about this later, but this is obviously a big blow to Atalanta. And really, I think this is the steal of the transfer window. It's a great deal for Sevilla who needs him for experience because they're going to have uh, a pretty a lengthy run of games where they're going to need the depth. They're going to need talent. It's only get him for 5.5 million. That's pretty good. Next, we have Jesse Lingardino to West Ham United. This is my team. I don't think I've ever even talked about West Ham in any of the news yet, but I mean, it's not, it's not amazing. I'm glad I get to talk about West Ham, but Jesse Lingard hasn't played this season at all, but he can play a pretty decent backup role for West Ham uh, in case we need him because we're going to have we're going to have some injuries most likely we have a paper thin squad so to get him in and to hopefully get him some reps really early on so we can get acclimated and playing well it's pretty good Uh, next we have Deli Ali to potentially Paris Saint Germain from Tottenham Hotspur but it's reportedly not happening uh, Spurs want to have Christian Eriksen as a replacement, but Inter won't budge. And honestly, it makes sense. Inter Milan are in a pretty big title race in Serie A, so they're going to want to keep him around. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll also see what happens with Liverpool. We're looking for a center back. They're looking for a center back to cover the obviously injured Virgil van Dyke. They're looking for a lot of replacements in different places, including New York with Aaron Long from New York Red Bulls, uh, Preston's Ben Davies, uh, Wolverhampton's Sice, or Arsenal's Mustafi. So we'll see what they come up with if they actually get a deal over the line by uh, Monday's Monday's uh, transfer deadline date. Jack, do you have any opinion on any of these? Well, I just wanted to address the Papu Gomez one just because it's, it is crushing. He's an incredible player. Honestly, like... He he is probably worth forty to fifty million, if if I had to put a price tag on him. But Sevilla got probably the steal of possibly like the decade of of transfers because this is 
a huge deal. He he was a key part of Atalanta, and he could change games all by himself. And I I mean like I'm really sad to see him go because he was my favorite player on that squad. He he was incredible. I I love watching number tens, and he was my favorite one to watch. And I might actually just turn on a few Sevilla games just to watch him because that's how much I I loved watching him play. I'm going to miss him, but I ho- I wish him all the best. And then, also, just commenting yeah. on Liverpool, they they have zero fit senior center backs right now. They have zero. Joel Matip's out injured. Virgil van Dijk's out injured. Joe Gomez is out injured. They need someone, because they can't keep playing, you know, uh, James Milner and, uh, <laughs> and Fabinho at center back. They've got to get an actual center back. But it's hilarious to me that they think Shakhtar Mustafi from Arsenal is the big answer. Uh, but you know, if you have nothing, anything is better than it. So, uh, there, there yeah. we go. Uh, there, there's a lot of interesting transfers going on right now. It's interesting seeing how COVID-19 affects how the finances are in these transfers. Liverpool, obviously going pretty cheap, uh, 5.5 for a really good player. COVID-19 probably has a little bit to do with those finances. But, Jack, why don't you get us going with our number six story yeah. in France? So, uh, France, uh, we're, we're getting some interesting stories out of here. Uh, while a lot of un, unforeseen teams are flying high, one such team that is not is Marseille. Uh, they're not doing well in the league. They are currently in ninth place. And Yikes. they've been stagnating for quite a while. And yesterday, Marseille's fans actually rioted and stormed their training ground in protest, lighting parts on fire. And, uh, you know, they've been upset by the club's management, who's been absolutely terrible through all of this. You know, their coach uh, re- openly said in a press conference that he doesn't want to stay after his contract expires this summer. Yikes. And it has been absolutely terrible. Uh, and you know, I, I don't blame them. That, that sucks when your club is being managed in such a poor way, but, uh, you know, it, it got the potential to be really bad, much worse than it got. Like, you know, there, there was some property damage and also defender Alvaro Gonzalez was hit by a flying projectile. Uh, it's unknown what that projectile was, but still that's dangerous, uh, potentially. And in addition, you know, they had to... Uh, postpone their game against Ren, and you know with their bad form I think that this this tension between the fans the front office and all of that is only going to add to their troubles and I can't see it getting much better for Marseille I really can't which is unfortunate because they are one of the biggest clubs in France and it's unfortunate to see this happening to such a stalwart in that league yeah for sure uh not great. I think it is going to bleed onto the pitch all of their troubles. So, I don't, we're going to have to we're going to have to watch this as it keeps on happening, but I did see that they did arrest like 18 of the protesters right. there. So, it it is pretty pretty serious. Uh, but on to a more happy note. So, real quick, we got some quick stories to go over. Uh, World Cup 2026 cities are announced. Uh, keep an eye out on our next episode where we talk all about the 2026 cities, which cities in America, Mexico, and Canada should get uh, a game in the World Cup. And yeah, we also have ESPN, who is in the running to get the La Liga rights. So ESPN and ESPN Plus, they're known for holding the rights towards uh, Serie A, Bundesliga, Eredivisie, some MLS games. Copa del Rey, other leagues and cups that I'm forgetting, FA Cup, whatever. But it's interesting to note that if they get La Liga, they get automatically the two biggest clubs in the world. And that would be huge for both the league in America and ESPN. And I know it would be great to see some, some El Clasico matches here in the States without having to go through some other shady means. And lastly, the feel-good story of the week. I believe it's pronounced Chapo Canense. Probably not. They win Sira B in Brazil. 
four years after a fatal plane crash took more than 70 lives of their staff and their players. This is obviously a really, really good story to hear because after everything that they had to go through, having to play through all their competitions the year after with free players, loaned players, and academy players, to see them unfortunately get relegated last year and come back swinging is really good. And I'm just really glad to see you know, the captain who survived the plane crash wow. lift that trophy four years after the fact and see the, the joy in all the fans' faces and all the players' faces was really great. Jack, do you have any opinion on those three? Well, that last story is just incredible. You know, it's it's a tragic instance, but it kind of just shows why we call soccer the beautiful game, because it mm-hmm. can produce moments like this, where after tragedy, soccer can unite so many people together and bring them immense joy and pride, even when the world isn't perfect. And I absolutely love to hear that. And I, you know, very good on Chapacoense for being able to win that title. And I wish them the best of luck in their uh, beginning promoted back up to the top flight. And hopefully they'll have some success. Yeah, hopefully they do find some success. Those are our big stories along with some pretty quick ones. Next, we're going into our second part of the episode, which is the USMNT Corner, where we talk about all the things happening with the U.S. men's national team. We have an insane week, so let's get started right off the bat. In Austria, Brendan Aronson gets an assist in a 3-0 Salzburg win over SV Reed. It was a pretty routine pass to Rasmus Christensen, but it was still good. Uh, he obviously got on the score sheet for the first time in his career with uh, RB Salzburg. He had a great defensive motor, always uh, trying, always trying to do things. So really good. I'm really excited to see what he does in it for the attacking perspective for RB Salzburg. Next, we have McKenney getting robbed of an assist and in real life. This past week, he was one of the best players for Juventus as they took down Sampdoria. He had the most tackles. He had a really good pass rate. He had the second highest rating in their team, and he just has a great motor. If you watch the game, you'd be like, "How did? how's Weston McKenney there? How's Weston McKenney there? How did he do that? How did he manage to take that ball away from that Sampdorian player without just completely trucking him? Like, he was just able to work magic in all aspects on the field. And it really goes to show that his best traits, by far, are his ball-winning ability, able to like get the ball back, able to pressure the, the opposing team, and his work rate. And unfortunately, that's a great positive for McKenney. He also got his house robbed during the Copa Italia match against Spall. Not great, but you know, hopefully he can feel better about himself knowing that he's one of Juventus's best players. We also had Christian Pulisic coming on at halftime and completely changing the game against Burnley. He created two chances and got an assist to Marcus Alonso, who scored an absolute worldie. He juggled the ball twice before volleying it at an almost impossible angle. And I think it's safe to say that Marcus Alonso is actually their best striker right now. <laughs> so, might not, might not be a good sign, but hey, when you go against Timo Werner, there's, there's not much competition. He assisted from the left side, of course, that is his best position, and hopefully Tuchel can actually play him more often. And, you know, he's come off the bench, still played really well, but hopefully Tuchel can play him some more. Going over to Germany, we had John Brooks scoring in a 3-0 win over Freiburg. He scored off of a corner, and to me, that's not even the best part about it. He's really, really good defensively, and one of the reasons why Wolfsburg is A, third in the Bundesliga, B, second least goals assist in the league. And three, or C, I guess. They, they've had three clean sheets in a row. Really impressive from the German side. Really impressive from the German-American. And I hope to see more of it. Uh, going back to Wales in the UK, we had Morris making a small cameo in his debut for Swansea City. Not much to say, other than hopefully he gets a run out during Norwich versus Swansea because that's going to be first versus second place in the championship. Hopefully he can make more of an impact because there's big things to come from that. But speaking of Swansea, we also have Paul Ariola 
potentially making a move to Swansea, which is also going to be a six-month loan if it does happen. He would be a wingback, which is, you know, his best position. And it kind of makes sense because DC's owners, DC United, where he currently plays for, also owns part of Swansea City. So it kind of makes sense that it would happen. Then we also have, staying in England, Aaron Long to Reading FC, or potentially Liverpool. He is on a short-term loan to Reading FC, an unnamed championship side, or Liverpool. Even though it's reported that it's not going to be Liverpool, Liverpool is not interested. But he is rumored to be going towards a loan to one of a championship sides. So that's pretty interesting. However, Red Bulls have reportedly denied loan offers for Long. And this is the second time that they have done that. He's 28, though. He's got to get some reps either in Liverpool, perhaps, or most likely in a championship side. So we better keep our eyes peeled for that. Next, moving right along, we go to Brian Reynolds to Roma. By the time this episode airs, it will be over. Brian Reynolds will officially be a player for some team. We thought it was Juventus, now it's Roma. By the time this comes out, he should be officially a Roma player. Next, we have Yedlin going to Galatasaray. After being frozen by Newcastle, the Turkey Giants have stepped in and have signed Yedlin to a deal. This is a good chance to make a difference and get back into the U.S. men's national team conversation. The Turkish Super League is a good league. Hopefully you get some minutes. Next, we have Richards going to Hoffenheim, TSG Hoffenheim, on a six-month loan. No option to buy. He previously was with Barcelona, uh, not Barcelona, with Bayern Munich. He played pretty well in the times that he did appear, whether it would be a friendly or the Aaron's Cup match. But now... He can play for his old Bayern 2 coach, Sebastian Honez, and really be able to stamp himself in as our choice right center back. And lastly, real quick, we have the U.S. men's national team January camp. We had some good players making their way from MLS to the U.S. men's national team camp. Uh, we're actually recording this while the game's happening. It's currently 4-0. Oh, nope, it's 5-0 now. There we go. And the starters were Matt Turner, Aaron Herrera, Aaron Long, Sam Vines, Jackson Ewell, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Kellen Acosta, Miles Robinson, Jonathan Lewis, and Sebastian Legette. I'm not going to go too into it because it's a January camp, but we had some pretty good goals from some pretty good MLS players. Uh, that's the U.S. Men's National Team corner. Come back next week for when we talk about all the great things that the U.S. Men's National Team players are doing abroad. Uh, but now we should be talking about our predictions, last week's predictions, which didn't work out too well for me. Jack, why don't you explain the scoring system, the scoring system that ultimately failed me this week? Yeah, so as always, our scoring system is going to be 10 points for getting the result right and then 20 points for getting the exact score right. Uh, so... I think for the only the second time in our podcast, we had an instance where 20 points were awarded. I finally scored some points. Unusual, I know, but uh, that, that finally happened. But I'll let AJ take it away with our first game we predicted, which was Palmeiras versus Santos in the Copa Libertadores final. I was looking so forward to this game, and it didn't. It didn't deliver, if I'm being honest. It was an uneventful first 90 minutes. It got a bit chippy, but both sides didn't seem to have a lot of firepower coming out of the gates. The most entertaining part of the game before the goal was Santos's coach getting sent off for starting a fight with a player that escalated into a, a mini a mini brawl. It took until the 90 plus ninth minute for Breno Lopez to score a header to the far post to lift Palmeiras to a 1-0 win and get them their second Copa Libertadores championship in their 120-so year history. It's a, they've been around a while. This is the, only their second win. Uh, I predicted 2-3 uh, to Santos. So did Jack. Unfortunately, we go out with zero points. Yeah. And next we had Inter Milan versus AC Milan in the Copa Italia. This was an absolutely rocking game from start to finish. Milan struck yes. first with a, or AC Milan, I should say, struck first with a goal from none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. 
and he scored uh, on the thirty in the thirty first minute, and right on the stroke of halftime, there was a fight between Zlatan and Romelu Lukaku of Inter Milan, leading to both of them being booked, which ended up being very consequential for the result of this match because just before the sixtieth minute, Zlatan makes a cynical challenge on an Inter Milan player. He gets a second yellow and gets sent off, and it was all Inter from then on out. And Lukaku converts a penalty in the 71st minute. He absolutely smashes it into the into the top crossbar. Uh, you know, AC Milan's goalkeeper had no chance of getting to it. It was an incredible penalty. I like to think that he was kicking Zlatan Ibrahimovic after that fight, and his anger was just expressed in that moment. And then... To cap it all off, Christian Eriksen, the super sub, scores an incredible free kick in the 97th minute to secure it for Inter Milan. And AJ predicted a 2-2 draw. I predicted Inter Milan would win 2-1. So AJ gets zero points, and I got the exact result correct for 20 points. Darn, darn, darn. Darn. <laughs> when that Christian Eriksen goal came, went in, my jaw dropped. The 97th minute. Are you kidding? That's just that's just not fair. But what we are going to talk about as fair was Spurs versus Liverpool. One to three. Liverpool deserved this completely. And they actually broke our record of having really boring top six games. It was, it was pretty entertaining. But Liverpool finally get back to their winning ways in 2021 with a comprehensive win at Spurs. Liverpool went close throughout the first half and broke through at the stroke of halftime through a Firmino goal. Kane was unable to continue after halftime, which is a big blow, not just for Tottenham, but also my FPL team. <laughs> Alexander-Arnold scored on 47 minutes, and Horberg responded two minutes later. 65th minute winner by Sadio Mane killed the game off completely. I guessed 2-1, Jack guessed 2-2. Both completely off, zero points for both of us. Yeah, and speaking of boring top flight matches, we had Manchester United versus Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal may not be in the top, top six, top four right now, but it was still incredibly boring. Neither side could take any advantage in this contest. It ended in a zero-zero draw. Both sides had three shots on target. I think uh, Arsenal had fourteen shots and Manchester United had 17, but they couldn't make any of them count. Literally, this was the most boring game I watched this weekend, and I regretted Same. watching it. Uh, the most notable element of this game, in fact, is just that Martin Odegaard got his first minutes for Arsenal. That's, mm -hmm. that's about the only thing I really have to report from this. It was a snooze fest. You missed absolutely nothing if you, if you didn't miss this. It ended 0-0. AJ guessed 1-2. I guessed 3-1. We both get 0 points from this one. Yep, I also made the mistake of watching this game instead of watching anything more entertaining. Uh, unfortunately, it was the most, I don't know, it was just the most boring match I, I've seen all week, and that's just par for the course for Manchester United. But what was actually a goal fest, and it still is a goal fest, is USA versus Trinidad and Tobago in an international friendly. It's actually happening right now. We're recording this in the 59th minute of that current game. Uh, right now, the scores are in order. Uh, Jonathan Lewis, Jesus Ferreira, Paul Ariola twice, uh, Miles Robinson, and just recently, Jonathan Lewis makes it a brace to make it 6-0 currently for USA versus Trinidad and Tobago. This is one of those matches. Trinidad-Tobago is not necessarily that strong. They did beat us, unfortunately in 2017 to lock us out of the 2018 World Cup. But it is worthy to know that Trinidad and Tobago, this isn't their strongest squad, I don't think. USA, this also isn't their strongest squad. So to really get anything out of this match other than, oh, this player looks pretty good. Jonathan Lewis is playing pretty well. Paul Ariola is playing pretty well. That's about it. But I will say Matt Turner getting a start is pretty cool. Jack and I both love Matt Turner. He's one of one of our favorite uh, goalkeepers in the league. So that's cool, I guess. 
but because it is 6-0 and I guessed a 3-0 win and Jack guessed a 4-0 win, we both get 10 points. Didn't get the exact scoreline right, but that's okay. And this ends up being AJ 10, Jack 30. So after a win streak of two by me, it ends in horrifying, horrifying loss. Only getting <laughs> one, one of these results right. That's kind of embarrassing by me. Uh, Jack, how do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. I actually, I'm, I, I'd like to thank Inter Milan for coming through, uh, especially Christian <sighs> Eriksen. Uh, thanks for the free kick, bud. Really appreciate it. Yep. Unfortunately, Christian Eriksen had to ruin my week. But hopefully next week is a little bit better. Uh, we have next week's predictions coming up. We're joined by one of our good friends, unfortunately a Chelsea fan, uh, Griffin. Uh, Griffin is a pretty pretty big soccer fan and honestly probably knows a little bit more than us. So let's head over to that prediction section and hear more from us and Griffin on this week's predictions. All right, and we're here with the new predictions for this coming week. We're joined by a very special guest, one of our good friends, Griffin. Griffin, how are you feeling today? Feeling great, AJ. How are you? I'm, I'm feeling great, obviously. <laughs> uh, so Griffin is also uh, a soccer fan. I hear you're a fan of, of Chelsea, unfortunately. Can you walk us through your, your soccer fandom? Yeah, sure. So I have been a fan of Chelsea Football Club since 2013, following their 2012 Champions League victory, although I claim I'm not a bandwagon uh, <laughs> and through the ups and downs since then. Um, I'm also a fan of Minnesota United Football Club, as well as the men's and women's uh, U.S. national team. Yeah, nice. nice. Well, that's great to hear that you've been a, you, you've at least been a fan for a good chunk of your life. So oh, yes. maybe not too much of a bandwagon, but you know, <laughs> just for you, we got a Chelsea game to start off this week's five predictions. Jack, why don't you uh, introduce Tottenham versus Chelsea? Yeah, well, as you said, Tottenham versus Chelsea, it's going to be a big game, the London Derby. Uh, last time out, it ended in a pretty stale 0-0 draw. And uh, this time, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Tottenham are going to be without Harry Kane, coming off of two losses to Liverpool and Brighton as well as Chelsea coming off of a win against Burnley. And it'll be an interesting game because we're going to see a pretty informed side who are just getting to grips with a newer coach against a side that's kind of out of form and missing their key, one of their key players. So it's going to be a very interesting game. Personally, I think that this is going to end, and this might be my bias speaking, but I think it's going to be Tottenham 1, to Chelsea too, mostly because mm. without Harry Kane, Tottenham just aren't the same. You saw it in the game against Brighton. They just couldn't create. And I think it's going to be a similar story, although Chelsea seem to be prone to some defensive errors. So I'll give Tottenham a goal in it. All right. All right. Well, Griffin, you're also a Chelsea fan. Are you biased at all? Like, what are you thinking about this game? Uh, I see this one going Tottenham one to Chelsea three. Ooh. You know, bump wow. up the scoreline a little bit. And I'm going to cite a uh, emphatic Thomas Tuchel um, and an increased desire, I think, to beat the previous Chelsea manager, Mourinho. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think they've had some uh, poor results lately, and I, I can see Chelsea taking this one. Yeah. All right. One to three. That's that, 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 that's a that's a lot of faith put into a new manager. I, I do like that. I, I love I love how enthusiastic you guys are. Me. As someone who doesn't like Chelsea or Tottenham, I'm thinking like I I want both of you guys to somehow lose, you know. But you know the way I see it, I looked this up. Tottenham are three wins, one draw, and three losses, I believe, against top six opponents. So you know a mixed bag overall. Right now they're they're overperforming their expected points. They're playing pretty conservatively. So and they just lost today i believe to brighton so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh uncertainty surrounding tottenham and jose Mourinho right now in terms of how well they can actually play but at the same time thomas tuchel coming into chelsea they're relatively untested against high level opponents so i can't really say for sure that chelsea are going to win like the, 
my heart, unfortunately, does say that Chelsea, I think, are going to win. But to me, it comes out to a 2-2 draw. Like, I, I can't really for certain say one side's going to beat the other just based on all the uncertainties surrounding them. Interesting, interesting. And uh, one more question. Uh, do you think Timo Werner will score? Because his first Chelsea goal did come against Tottenham in the League Cup, if you remember back in uh, October. Do you think he'll finally break his scoring drought? No way. No way. Uh, Griffin, I'm what do you say think? I'm going to say no on that, too. <laughs> okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back the boy. Unfortunately. I'm going to back him. I, I kept him in my fantasy team. I'm, I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope for him. I don't know why I keep him in there because it's costing me points every week, but you know what? We'll back him. Jack, the last time you said he would score, it turned out terribly for you. So I know, I don't know. I know. I'm aware. I don't know if that's going to go great, but here's, here's a, a game where we might actually, you know, get our predictions right. And that's Marseille versus PSG in Liga. Jack, t- t- talk us, a, talk us through this game. Well, it's, uh, you know, El Cla- uh, La Classique, I think I said that right. But, uh, you know, it's the two biggest sides in France. It's Marseille versus PSG, and it's a very different case of two different sides. Marseille have fallen from grace, really. Uh, they're, they've gone on an awful run. They're ninth in league on after qualifying for the Champions League last season. Right. And, they're, and then PSG aren't doing as well as they could be given their massive expectations currently sitting at third. However, uh, Marseille are not in a great position right now. Their fans have completely revolted against the club. As we talked about in the store, in our stories about Mm -hmm. the training ground being broken into burned in some cases, one of their players was hit by a projectile. Uh, It's not a great situation there. And with all of that shaking up behind the scenes, it's never good for a club. And because of that, and because, you know, it's PSG, they have some of the best attacking talents in Europe. I'm going to back PSG to win this three to zero. Okay. Griffin, how do you see this? I as well see a similar scoreline of PSG three or say one. I think they could potentially get one goal. PSG have a recent record of not keeping clean sheets per se. And I think they're going to, play as well as their new jerseys look and yeah uh, they won't be wearing them but they'll play well (laughs) yeah i mean this if you guys like really look at it this just seems like a david versus goliath game and for me goliath is gonna win psg are too good marseille in beyond terrible form terrible circumstances around the club right now i'm gonna go four to zero for psg wow okay just because when it's when it, one team is this high and one team is this low, you kind of have to back them to perform to their level. And so just based on that, PSG for Marseille, zero. Yeah, it's, it's probably going to be a big difference to the one at the beginning of the season where Marseille oh, yeah. barely won in a one to zero win. And uh, I think there were something like five red cards potentially in that game. It was... Yeah. It was a crazy end to that game. And, a lot uh, has changed since then. A lot has changed for sure. All right. Well, why don't we go on to the next game, which is going to be a lot closer. It's Liverpool versus Manchester City. In seasons past, this was the season-defining game, and we have all the reason to believe that this is going to be one of the biggest games of the season. Griffin, you're our guest. You're our esteemed guest. Why don't you kick us off? Explain to us what you think of this monumentous game coming up this weekend. You know, I believe City are top of the table right now still with a game in hand. And Liverpool have been showing some recent brilliance through Mohamed Salah. Um, I think we'll see a little bit more of that. I think he might bag a goal. Um, But I think City are going to score a late winner in Liverpool fashion to win 2-1. 2-1, all right. Staying top of the table. All right. Jack, what do you think? Well, uh, I've, I've, I've done this a lot where I predict like really high scoring outcomes for one at these top of the table clashes, and it never seems to work out for me. Uh, and because both of the, like Liverpool's defense isn't great, but they've been doing okay uh, recently and Manchester city kind of a similar story. Uh, I'm going to back this to end in a one, one draw. I, I think okay. that uh, Salah is going to score for Liverpool and Manchester city. It's, 
probably going to be something like John Stones scoring from a corner. I don't know. He's been scoring a lot recently, but uh, either that or Gundogan is going to come up from uh, CDM and score a, an absolute worldie. But uh, I think it's going to end 1-1. All right. 1-1. Okay. Well, I think we're going to get three different results out of all of us because I'm going 2-1 to Liverpool. Uh, City haven't won at Anfield in 18 years. It was 2003 the last time City have won in Liverpool's home. And yes, you know, Manchester City are very good defensively, only giving up how many goals at this point? Like, not a lot at all. They're, they're obviously very good. They, they destroyed West Brom last week. But Liverpool have been ba- bouncing back. They've gotten some positive results, unfortunately, today against West Ham. Salah is back in a scoring ways. We have, you know, some negatives coming out of Liverpool. Obviously, uh, Sadio Mane is injured currently, and I don't know how long he's going to be out with, uh, with that knock. But to me, with the fact that City haven't won at Anfield in 18 years, Liverpool on the bounce back, 2-1 to Liverpool. Well, considering this is one of your teams coming up, Jack, why don't you take Napoli versus Atalanta? Yeah, uh, actually, these are my two favorite teams in Serie A, but this is going oh, wow. we're, we're going to be talking about the Coppa Italia game here. It's the first leg at Napoli's home stadium, uh, recently renamed the Diego Maradona Stadium. And it's going to, I think this is going to be a really exciting game. Atalanta came back from like twice against Lazio to end up winning uh, along with a red card and Napoli absolutely destroyed Spezia. And I, th- I think that this is going to be a really fun game because these are both really high attacking sides. And Atalanta, I think, again, some bias coming through. I think they're going to come through on top just because, you know, Luis Muriel has a goal almost every, uh, every half of soccer that he plays. He, he's one of the most efficient strikers in Europe over the past two seasons. And I also think that, uh, you know, Napoli have also been really strong recently, but I think Atalanta are going to come out on top uh, for Napoli two to Atalanta three. Mm. I think this is going to have a lot of goals because they're both high attacking and I'm going to be excited to watch this one. Every time you say it's going to be high scoring, it ends up being a zero zero draw. I know, so let's, see I know, that, it's a curse. let's see if that trend holds. Griffin, let's hear what you have. because. I'm hoping that you can do better than him next week. So I'm really hoping you go for a good score this game. I know it shouldn't be too difficult to get a few more points than Jack uh, <laughs> coming, coming up next week. For that reason, I'm going to go a little different from Jack and go with a 1-1 draw All right. uh, with a goal for Napoli from either Irving or Insigne. Um, I think the last fixture that they played ended in a 2-2 draw with a late Atalanta goal. And I think something similar could happen this time around too. All right. Well, I'm 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 praying. Like honestly, I'd I would take me not getting this result right if it meant that you can get this result right and just like rub it in Jack's face. I would love but, that too. But yeah, I went with a two-one win for Napoli. Uh, it's at Napoli's home. Atalanta are, I believe, Jack, back me up here. Are Ad- Atalanta miss are missing some of their players due to COVID and a red card last round. Is that true? Yeah. So they're missing Christian Romero to a COVID te- a positive COVID result. Uh, Palomino to a red card and Hans Hattabauer to a, uh, so a, a knock, I think to the foot or a foot injury. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. So, the, so they're missing players, obviously, and that's going to be hard. It's going to be even harder for them to go to Naples and get a result. Napoli, you know, like Griffin said, they got Insigne. I, I, I back him 100% to bag some goals, maybe get that brace in this 2-1 win. And overall, I just think Atalanta's got their work cut out for them, and I don't think they'll be able to get over that hump. That's going to be a, a 2-1 win for Napoli. Well, yeah, I think, I think you're right. The injuries and suspensions are going to play into some of that. Uh, but Atalanta's defense is never great, so I don't think missing another center back is going to cause them too much trouble even though Romero has been an incredible player for them but I'd like to I'd like you to be wrong 
Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm usually wrong, to be fair. But <laughs> Well, maybe you won't be wrong about this next one. This is another cup match, this time in Germany, the DFB Pokal versus VFB Stuttgart and Manching Gladbach. So Stuttgart are underperforming their expected points in the league by, I believe, 5.5 points. And that might have been updated last time I checked. But overall, it does show that they have been unlucky with some results not going their way, even though that they have been the, the quote-unquote better team as you know shown by the expected points. Uh, Manching Gladbach are playing very well but it's always a hard ask to overcome a cup fixture away from home to a team that has been doing better than what the table has shown. And if you do look at the table, Mönchengladbach are seventh, Stuttgart are 10th. So it's really going to be a close match. It's going to be an open game as well as most cup matches are, especially in Germany. So to me, it's a coin flip. But as I mentioned before, Gladbach going away from home, trying to get a result is going to be hard. Maybe it's just because Stuttgart has an American head coach, but I'm going 3-2 to VFB Stuttgart. Griffin, what are you thinking about this Pokal match? I am going to go opposite of what you did, AJ, and do 3-2 to Bruce Mönchengladbach. Oh, Gladbach. No. Okay. Not for any particular <laughs> reason. I just, uh, I like the odds. All right. Okay. Well, Jack? Yeah, so I I think that this is going to be a really interesting match just because this game was played two weeks ago in the Bundesliga, ending in a 2-2 draw. It was the exact exact same fixture. Stuttgart were at home. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think that it might be uh, a similar story, although Stuttgart's recent form has been terrible. Uh, like, it hasn't been great. That's fair. They, they have, uh, in their last three... They have lost two and won one, whereas Gladbach have done a little bit better, if I, if I remember correctly. They have drawn one and won two. I think that Mönchengladbach is just going to have a little bit more firepower in this one, and I am going to back them to win this uh, two to one. I think it's going to be close, and Stuttgart could uh, collect a late winner equalizer to win eventually but i'm still backing gladbach and they're uh, i i think their front line's probably stronger as well i'm just gonna back them and say that i like their odds as well all right well fair enough those are our five games that we are doing predictions on we are joined today by griffin our good friend griffin how do you feel about your predictions do you think do you think you got these I, I feel pretty confident in what I've said today, uh, confident enough at least to get more points than Jack has shown in the last four weeks. That, that'd be uh, my goal. All right. Well, hope, hopefully you come out on top. I mean, I, this is our first time having a guest do predictions. I don't know what we're going to do if Griffin does beat us, Jack, next week. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, Griffin, this is the end of our time here. Do you have anything to say to all of our millions of fans out there just up the blues up the blues yes. okay whatever let's get out of here get out of here <laughs> all right thanks guys all right again thanks for griffin for joining us it's always great to hear one of our friends talk about soccer with us and we're hope to get more guests more more friends more fellow podcasters more people in the soccer world involved in our prediction section it's always great to have them jack before we close this off do you have anything to say to our listeners well as always make sure to follow our twitter twitter at final third show uh we put out some great tweets some good and possibly bad takes we'd like to follow along with those throughout the week and learn about episodes as soon as they release follow along on there And you can also watch some highlights on our YouTube channel. You can just search The Final Third, and uh, it'll pop up as one of the channels there. And it, you know, we posted an interview, uh, kind of informal interview, I guess, uh, our segment on Chelsea sacking Frank Lampard last week. So if you're interested in that, check it out. And that's about all I have to say. Yes, and as always, as always... Don't forget to give this show rating on Apple Podcasts. Give it a follow wherever you uh, listen listen at. 
and tell a friend about the podcast. If you have a friend that's really into soccer, tell them about it. Tell them all this cool stuff we do. It You have no idea how much it helps if you just tell one of your friends or even, you know, tell your dad. Tell your dad about the show. And that's it for us here at The Final Third. We'll see you guys next week. Same place, same time. See you then.